Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Hey, Aaron, guess what? What? Star Wars Celebration has been announced for next year, and it's in April. <laughs> it's in and, April, and it's and, in Chicago. And it's in Chicago, where it's still going to be cold. Yeah, in yes. April. <laughs> yeah, I looked up the average temperature in April in Chicago, and it's like 56 degrees. Yeah, yeah. That's not uh-huh. cool. No. But I really think it's in April because it's like I don't know it's like the sweet spot for stuff okay you know cause like it's the openings of the parks you know have it will are just about to start happening and then um oh, what else was I thinking of see I had this brilliant thought the other day about this about why it was when it is like it's going to be the perfect time for them to share content with us for the streaming service, for shows and things like that. Oh yeah, Star Wars uh, Resistance will probably be movies, like trailers, new movie stuff. It's just at a good time. I mean, I know people are upset about it. Were you when you saw where it was? Were you upset? Were you like? I mean, ah. ups, upset's a strong word, but I was definitely disappointed. Just what? because I have nothing against Chicago. I've actually never been there other than the airport. But it's not a town that I typically think of when I want to, like, go on vacation. And I kind of see Celebration as a vacation. Like, I like to go to warmer climates. Mm -hmm. Like, California and Florida, which is where they've been for a while, were perfect for me. So, and I love the Disney parks. I like it to be close to a Disney park. So, Chicago was kind of like, oh, okay, that's different. But I'll roll with it. I like it because it's in the middle. And it's going to make it a lot easier for a lot of people to get there. You know, especially people who can't go to Anaheim or can't go to Orlando. Although the one drawback to it is that Chicago is way more expensive. Just overall, in general, it's way more expensive. Hotels are way more expensive, especially with it being at McCormick Place, which is essentially in the downtown area. It's just it's going to cost people a lot more. But. I guess we just have to suck that up because even the tickets are a little on the pricey side, I guess, for some people. That's what I saw on Twitter. I I saw the price and I was like, well, that seems about right for five days, kind of. Uh, but $215 for five days. I did the math. It comes out to about 43 bucks a day or so. That's That sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. And then a, a one-day ticket... There's a Bounty Hunter preview uh, that's $55 because they're going to do like a preview night or maybe it's during the day or something where they'll get access to the show floor, autographs, photo ops, and the celebration show, show floor or, or the store. Uh, and so they said that Thursday's not going to have any stage programming. So basically Thursday is just a show floor day. Oh, interesting. I did not see that. Yeah, so so please note, Thursday will not have any stage programming. So, I mean, basically, 
the stage programming is going to be Friday to Monday instead. So that kind of helps people. Maybe they don't want to do the full five days. Then you could probably skip Thursday because Thursday is just a show floor day. Although for me, that's kind of like a day I would want to be there because that would be a day to hang out with friends and not having to be worried about going to panels and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, but it'll also be, well, in the past it was a really busy day. So I guess we'll see. Huh. That's an interesting way for them to go about it. I had not heard that yet. And it kind of makes sense now that they ex- extended the con one more day. It mm-hmm. kind of makes sense that there, it's still only four days of programming, but then they add in an extra day for looking around the floor, which is, I actually kind of like that idea too, because I think what ends up happening is you end up in a lot of lines and you end up in going to these panels and you don't get to look at the show floor that much. Um, at least that's been my experience in past celebrations because I tend to, to try to go to a lot of panels. So, Yeah, but a lot of people skip the last day and like I would be tempted to skip Monday. You know? Yeah. Uh, I kind of feel like they should have just done the programming Thursday through Sunday and have an extra day of con floor and all that stuff on Monday. On Monday. Uh, I feel like it should be flip-flops personally, but... Yeah, you know, that's, that makes whatever. sense too, because then people could leave early if if they didn't want to stay that extra day. Right. Is there like a holiday that weekend or anything? I don't why know. they're extending it onto a Monday? Just they, I think they just want to do five days. Huh. They just want the money, and that people will pay it. And it looks like if you just want to get one day tickets, it's seventy five dollars. So I mean, really, it's cheaper to cheaper, go the two fifteen yeah. route. For all five days, and those are that's for adults. A kid's five day ticket is a hundred dollars even, uh, and that's for kids six to twelve. And then they also say be prepared to show proof of age, so don't try to sneak in your thirteen year old. <laughs> and then kids one day tickets are thirty five dollars. So now here's the big thing: the Jedi Master VIP, because I know people have done this in the past. This thing's eight hundred and fifty dollars. No, thank you at all. I mean, it comes with like 20 bullet points worth of stuff, but also still no thank you. Yeah, I was reading through kind of what the perks are mm -hmm. out of curiosity. And, you know, basically you don't have to wait in lines. They have a special, you know, you get to go into panels early and get the best seating, all of that. So you don't have to wait in lines for panels, which is a nice perk, not worth 850 bucks. But then there's like a celebrity meet and greet. I guess, and then you can like get access for like autographs too, but then you have to pay for the autographs on top of the cost. It's not like the autographs are free. So, yeah, I was like, eh, if it was like, if they had like a middle grade version of that, you know, where it's like you can get into the panels. Jedi Jedi Padawan package. A Jedi Knight, which they did used to do that. They had two levels. So, if they did kind of like, okay, you can get into the panels, but you don't get the celebrity meet and greet, then I'd be tempted. Because I mm-hmm. like not having to wait in lines, but the celebrity meet and greet, eh. Yeah. Well, they do have the stages up. There will be the celebration stage, the Galaga stage, the behind the scenes stage, the fan stage, collector stage, podcast stage, Star Wars University, and the live stage. So the same as last time, which is nice. Uh, and then I also did look up the media registration. That doesn't start until November. So you know, we've got some time with that if we decide we want to do anything. And actually, if you guys are listening to this, which you are, I guess, if you're listening right now, uh, 
if you think you would like us to do a panel at Star Wars Celebration, let us know. We didn't do one at the last celebration in Orlando. We did do one in Anaheim. So we just kind of have to decide. Although, now that I'm looking at some stuff, Erin, podcast stage application is live now. Oh, The deadline is September 11th. So, yes, guys, please let us know either on Twitter or send us an email or something and let us know if you want us to do a podcast stage show because we need to apply. And, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time for us to do something like that. And so if we're going to do it, we want to know that you guys want us to do it. (laughs) That you're going to come. Yeah, that you're actually going to come before we just do it. Uh, but yeah, the the podcast stage application is live now, and its little icon is an Ewok. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that, I think, right there tells you that we should apply. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yep. Yeah. It says, apply for one of the limited number of podcast slots. So it's limited. So you guys need to let us know. Let us know! Now, super fast. Pause the show. <laughs> we'll Pause just apply. The show something. We'll apply and play it all cool and be like, yeah, you know, no big deal. And then if we get it, we'll be like super excited. But if we don't get it, we'll be like, yeah, we didn't really want a hassle. You know, we didn't want that hassle anyways. No, no big it. deal. Yeah. <laughs> but if we do, we will have buttons again. And maybe we'll do an exclusive button again. Yes, I mean... For a couple, I, think, I mean, we had two last time. Yeah, I think even last celebration, even though we didn't do a podcast stage thing, we still had buttons, so we'll have buttons no matter what. Yeah, we'll have buttons no matter what, but if we have a stage, like, podcast stage, we can have a specific button for that We'll do an extra thing. special button. An extra special out. button. It'll be black and red. <laughs> black. <laughs> no, black and red, is that was last year, or... That was last year. Awesome. Yeah. We can't do that again. Nope. Yeah. We've run that course. All right. So Although, hot pink. Yeah. yeah. Hot pink with a porg. Hot pink with you a porg. Yeah. No, we should do we should do Pinkie Pie dressed up like a Jedi or something. <laughs> <laughs> so many ideas. Notes. I'm taking notes. All right. Yeah. Take notes. Take notes. So let's see what else is going on. We've been reading some books. Yes. Which all the is good books. considering considering we are a book show. Uh, that's a good thing. Yes, it's good. We're bookworms, so we should read books, right? We should. We should. But there's a lot of books out right now around Solo. They all kind of came out right with the release, just like they always do with these movies. So suddenly we were like, oh yeah, we're almost caught up on books. And then we got like a bunch more books. Yeah. So I know like between the two of us, I think we're reading some of all of it. Um, We are. and eventually we'll get to it all. But I know I just got the the Chewbacca book where he there's like a K2SO team up mm-hmm. based on the cover. And I think it's called like Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear. How maybe? do you not know? It's an ebook on your I start phone. Your because phone it's a long title. I know. I can open it up. Let me see. Yep. The Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear. There you go. Oh, that in the forest has, of fear. Not in and. the forest. In the forest of fear. Okay, so Aaron. Yes. If you're a bookworm, you have to know how to read. That is super important. <laughs> it's a very it's a very important thing to be a bookworm and know how to read. You, but you do need to know how to read. This is the Tom Engelberger book, which is kind of a junior level book, but 
the story just looks so cool. And just having read just the very beginning of it, I haven't even finished. I think I did the first chapter. It's so cool. Like the way he writes it and just his sense of humor. So like this book, I already know I'm going to love it before we even have to review it. So definitely people should pick that one up. Yeah. And so I'm actually reading Star Wars Most Wanted by Ray Carson. This is the young adult novel. And it is actually, it takes place before what we see in Solo the movie. So it's before Han and Kira are even in any kind of a relationship, actually. Uh, Which I find very interesting to know what they think about each other prior to what we see in the film. So that was pretty cool. And I'm doing the audiobook, and it's read by... Saskia Marveld and she does a really good job and I've really enjoyed it so far uh I think I'm only about an hour and a half in or so but so far I've really enjoyed it do you think it's gonna be kind of like a rebel rising type book to give us I think it's gonna be flesh out the character of Kira kind of like rebel rising did for Jin not really it this is talking about a lot of the characters and it's not just about Kira this is about Han and about Kira, so it changes perspectives between Han's perspective and Kira's perspective. Oh, okay. So it's not it's not like that one was, but I do know that I really like Ray Carson's writing, and so far it has not disappointed. That has continued. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be really good. Again, I haven't read too, too much of it, but... The book you're reading, Star Wars The Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear, is narrated by Sean Kinnan and a full cast. So that'll be interesting. It's only three hours and 24 minutes, but I'm so tempted to get this. Yeah. It's it's the whole like Audible thing. You have Audible, right? Of course. And you only get a certain number of credits. And right. so when you're using a credit, and most of the time you get a, a novel, like if you get a Harry Potter book, it's like 20 plus hours. So you feel right. like you spent that credit well. But a three-hour book, it's kind of like, oh, maybe I should just read that one. <laughs> nah, I like full casts. <laughs> yeah, I I think for that book in particular, I'm just going to read. Um, even kind of the way the the visuals in the book are, it's kind of cool. Like the way they space stuff out and there's, I don't know. It's That one I think is going to be a fun experience just reading on the page. So I think I'll skip the audiobook on that one. Yeah, well, you know, I kind of like to have both versions. So Yeah, it's true. We'll see. But... Yeah, and then you're diving into the art of book, I think. Yes, I picked up the art of book, which is always my favorite book when it comes to these movie releases, and started, you know, kind of reading through that. I'm I'm probably about a fourth of the way through it, just reading the text, but I've already flipped through and looked at all the pictures, so it's it's been really cool. Yeah, the one I want that I haven't picked up yet is the, uh, I guess, the visual dictionary, but it's not called that. It's called something else but for solo uh i want that one the pablo yes. hidalgo book yes we'll definitely that'll probably be we'll do another episode where we'll kind of do the whole flip through and pick some of our favorite things yeah we'll probably do that for that book and maybe the art of book but yeah those mm-hmm. are i can't wait to get into that one too all righty well we are actually doing our movie review today uh we have been doing this i guess since the force awakens where we've been doing our reviews about the films as they're coming out. So let's talk Solo. Woo! Solo. Yes. Solo Full duo spoilers. trio. Big Full spoiler spoilers. Alert. Big spoiler alert. 
black and red, black and red, black and red. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are definitely, usually we, re- we cover books on the show, but you guys know for anyone that's been listening to us for a while knows that we will cover uh, the movies as well. Sometimes Rebels, we'll get in trouble for that. But the movies we definitely want to continue to cover. So Solo, we both had a chance to see it. A mm-hmm. couple times? Three times? Yeah. I don't know. How many times have you seen it now? I think twice. Twice? Okay. Yeah. I've seen it twice as well. So I had a chance to kind of have that first initial impression and then the more, you know, the second time I saw it, I kind of picked it apart a little bit more. So I feel like I'm ready to talk about it now. Yeah. Me too. Where do you want to start? Um, I don't know. Let's start at the beginning. What did you think about the kind of different intro? This is the first time we've kind of gotten that type of an intro with the long time ago, Galaxy Far, Far Away, and then the solo title kind of comes at you. Mm-hmm. No, I liked all that. I liked the I liked the wording, so it was kind of like an original Star Wars movie, but it wasn't scrolling or anything. It was just letting you know what was going on. I did like that. And speaking of text on the screen, the one thing I did miss from the Rogue One days is planet names because most of the time I don't know where the hell I was. I was yeah. so confused. I mean, I know we were on Corellia at first and then we we're on Kessel. I get that. But all the other junk in between, I don't remember. Somebody said that one of the planets was like Mimbon or something. Yep. And then I don't know what the planet name is that they meet Lando on. And then the planet where they refine the coaxium i think is savarine i don't really know uh and they're not in any of the map books god why bring out a map book if you're not gonna have the planets that show up in the movies on the maps why wait when did this map book come out galactic maps it just oh, came so, out okay yeah but it was they they probably were still seeing it as spoilery that they didn't want to reveal all the planets yet just so. put them in the book so for people. I'm sure once we get the visual guide there's probably gonna be an entire page dedicated to the planets and the you know the little galaxy map like they did oh, in the I last know. one but we'll I mean I ugh, boo I yeah I, I guess I didn't even think about it not having the planet titles come up and I didn't know the names of the planets either until either because I had read stuff ahead of time I knew like I knew Mimban was gonna be like the muddy planet um and but i didn't know some of the other planet names and even now i probably i couldn't name all the planets they went to but they did go to a lot of locations throughout this Mm -hmm. movie which was pretty cool because you got to see a lot of different types of star wars places um and i like it when a story jumps around to different to different locales and doesn't stay in one place yeah oh man but yeah kessel kessel yeah, Kessel. We got to see Kessel. We got to see Kessel in was it Rebels, right? Where the yes, that's where they had the Hera, Wookiee slaves. But Hera does the Kessel run. In more than wait, does she? In Rebels, Hera does the Kessel run, and now you can compare it because she does she does the Kessel thing. I just remember they went to Kessel, but I didn't remember their her kind of doing the. Well, she had to fly through the maelstrom and. All the other stuff. I remember that. It's been a while since I've seen those episodes. I need to. There's so much after watching this movie, and that was one cool thing about this movie is that it did reference other things in the Star Wars universe. It wasn't self-contained, so it did help if you had seen Rebels. It did help if you'd seen the Clone Wars. 
So I think even that, like, I'm like, oh, I want to go back and watch episodes that have, you know, Kessel or episodes that have um, the the Pikes, you know, things like that that showed up. I'm like, I want to rewatch that stuff now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's going to gain more viewers for shows like Rebels and the Clone Wars because of a movie like this. But And then, of course, the big reveal cameo at the end that definitely makes you want to go back and watch some uh, some Rebels content. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe Clone Wars more than Rebels, I think. Yeah, for yeah, we'll get to that part. But so at the beginning of the movie, we get to see Han and Kira younger, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure exactly how young they're supposed to be, but what, what maybe 18, something like that, like older teenagers. It felt like I don't know, but maybe 20. But they um, were part of this kind of like orphan group, maybe like this Oliver Twist type situation going on <laughs> which was kind of cool um but then there was this they're a member of the white worms the white worms right the white worm and game. they had um i'm forgetting the name of the, the like the worm lady that came out of the water lady proxima lady proxima and so this that was all when, going this on this is all where most wanted takes place so that's why i know oh, okay <laughs> i'm like wow look <laughs> at you i should know this stuff because i was just flipping through the art book and it's all in there but that was a interesting beginning. It was still where, you know, anytime a new Star Wars movie comes out, I'm watching it and I'm trying to get my footing, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Am I going to like this? Is this kind of my kind of movie? And so at this, at this beginning portion, I was a little like, okay, this is interesting. Oh, there's this crazy white worm thing that's coming out. And it seemed kind of puppet-like. And I was still not quite on board at this point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how like you felt about that character or that whole situation, but I was definitely a little shaky at the beginning. Well, okay. I mentioned this on Fangirls Going Rogue, but I have to mention it here because it's just like the timing. So I've been watching this show on Netflix called The 72 Most Dangerous Animals in Latin America. Okay. All of the most dangerous animals in Latin America are freaking bugs and snakes. And basically, all of them can kill you. (laughs) Their venom is like, I bite you, I kill you. So then I go and I see this, and this big giant worm lady comes out of the water. And I was like, what is it with the bugs? Like, (laughs) enough with the bugs. And then Han throws the rock, like, through the window. And I was like, burn the bug! Burn the bug! (laughs) Death to all bugs. It was just like, it was very... It was just super timely, I guess. I'd seen, you know, and she looked like a giant centipede or a millipede or a giant centipede, right? And there's a giant centipede in Latin America that can, like, eat your face. So I just, I was just, like, gross. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Lady Proxima could eat your face if she wanted to. Probably. It was an intimidating character, but I think at this point I was, I was, like I said, I was trying to find my footing with the movie, and this was so bizarre right off the bat. I was like, oh, is the whole movie going to be like this? Um, and luckily it wasn't. It was kind of like whatever. And I really like the part where Han pretends to have a thermodetonator, but it's just a rock. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people... does the clicking sound, and she's like, you just did that with your mouth. <laughs> and I've actually heard some people criticize that, kind of like, oh, that was kind of stupid or kind of cheesy. But for whatever reason, it really worked for me, and I laughed uh, mm-hmm. at that part, so... And once the humor kicked in and then they got away from this situation and started doing the whole speeder chase, then it, then that's when I started getting my footing. I was like, okay, I'm on board now. 
it's not going to just all be crazy aliens and slugs and stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. But the um, yeah, so they have that speeder chase, which I actually really liked. Uh, and a lot of that action we had already seen. I don't know if I know you were trying not to watch all the trailers, so I don't know if you had seen a lot of it. But yeah, they put a, a lot of that in the in the trailers, not just the TV spots. Yeah, so not I all think, of it, but a lot of it. And we got our first look at the Sabak dice that he hangs on the speeder. Right. I did like the part where he's trying to fly through through that gap, like in the factory. And she's like, "We're not going to make it," and he d- and he does it anyways. And then they, it looks like they're going to make it, but then they kind of halt, like grind to a halt before they get all oh, the yeah, way through. Oh yeah, that was funny. That was really good. Um, the, those Corellian hounds were like horrifying, even more so than Lady Proxima. Those yeah. like crazy dog things. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? I guess it's because of most wanted. Maybe this is what I was going to say. I've gotten to understand the white worm gang a little bit more and lady Proxima more because of the book most wanted that it kind of like all makes sense. And those hounds are kind of integral in parts of the story. They talk about them quite a bit. And also like lady Proxima gives birth to like all of her minions, like Moloch and stuff. Like they're all white worms. Oh, really? Moloch is actually the same he's like, species? He's like, or something like that. I could be wrong, but like, I the vibe I've gotten so far is like, they're all white worms, so that's why they have to wear those suits or whatever. She's kind of so. like the queen, like, remember the Geonosian queen? Oh, gross. I got yes. some Geonosian queen vibes from her, and I also got like, remember um, Mama the Hut? Yeah. That gigantic hut that they came across uh, in the Clone Wars? Kind of yeah. got it was kind of similar to that too. It was almost like a mix between those two characters. Uh, yeah. So the there was some really good humor, but also in that part when they're running away from Moloch and everything, when they're kind of like hiding in the crowd and everything, and then Kira gets taken away. I think I the first time I saw it, I think I cried a little. Really? I think I had like a tear. I was like, oh no. At that part. I was like, that's okay. so sad. <laughs> What's gonna happen to her? Oh, you know, I don't know. It was the, he was just so distraught. I mean, was he was a, like screaming. He's like, Kira! yeah, Kira! like it's I think a, it was Han's reaction that made me go. Oh, yeah, I think throughout the entire movie, when it comes to their relationship, Han was way more emotional about it. And she totally. was way more kind of like level headed about it. You know, they were they weren't even. I guess you could say, yeah, which yeah, ends up turning out bad for Han in the end, and he was way too emotionally attached. But it, it's an interesting look into Han, and even reading Last Shot. Yeah, yeah, especially um, with Last Shot. You get the sense that Han is a very emotional kind of person when it comes to relationships. So I, it was an interesting side of Han that we hadn't really seen in A New Hope. You kind of do, or not in A New Hope, but you kind of see in the original trilogy when he gets... You know, all like Luke jealous over Leia, and he's like, "Oh, what? What does would Luke understand?" You know, like that kind of thing. Oh you can yeah. Kind of start to see that side of Han. He's but, my brother. But you don't. This is the first time. Yeah, he was like almost screaming, crying almost when they got separated, and then he was so focused on getting finding his way back to her. Yeah. So, whereas she was just like, "I'm gonna go find a job somewhere." So now let's I'm, think about let's think about this. So he gets torn away from the love of his life, and then he's like, screw it. I'm going to join the Empire. That's like the ultimate, 
when you've lost all hope and despair and your girl doesn't want you anymore and you're like, I'm just going to go join the military. <laughs> kind of, but his his entire goal was so he could eventually buy his own ship so he could go back and get her. So he he never fully gave up on her. No, I know. I know. I'm just, you know, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. And then we find out that he actually does have a last name, but we don't know what it is. And it's not Solo. So what is it? He doesn't have I don't, that's what, but he does because he has parents and he talks about his parents. So he does have a people and he does have a last name, but we don't know what happens to his parents that causes him to end that scene to say, I don't have, I don't have people, you know, and the, the Imperial officer is like Han Solo right? because he's by himself. How did you feel about that, about that being the origins of his name? Oh, I thought it was cool, but I also now want to know what his actual name is and like what happened to his family and why he's so pissed off. You know, I wonder about- if the I wonder if the book you're reading now, Most Wanted, will have some details around that. Sure, I haven't gotten there yet. If it does, yeah. but that would be cool. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that when he said I don't have a people. I just kind of thought maybe, you know, he grew up. Uh, an orphan or something and just never knew what his last name was like he doesn't even know but he talks about his dad delando though that his dad used to build the carillion for the yt whatever freighter oh okay yeah so i guess that's a mystery yet to be solved or maybe he'll be like yoda and we'll never find out those type of details right we probably won't no those are those things i like to tease with but then they keep it from us right they it was the Imperials don't have a huge presence in this movie, but we get to see no. the Imperial like recruiting center. And then we get to see later on, we get to see TIE fighters and a star destroyer, but they're not ever kind of the main, you know, they're not the main foil. They're not the bad guys. Uh, it's, you know, it's other things. So that was kind of an interesting difference in this movie. We've always had the first order or the Imperials that are the bad guys. This is kind of the first movie that they weren't. That was kind of cool though. I don't always need them to be, to be the bad guys in the movies, you know? Oh yeah, I agree. And I, it felt, this movie felt more to me like a, I picked up a legends novel, especially with a lot of the self-referencing and kind of referencing things where they would throw in a name like, Oh, we should have asked Bosk to join us. Or aren't you the person that killed Aura Singh? Those are the type of references that you haven't, you don't really get in the Star Wars movies too often, but you do get that kind of stuff in like the animated series or the novels. So it felt like they were kind of, taking a page out of that book. Yeah. But I like that about the movie. And I know some, and, but I know some people didn't or, and people were kind of concerned like, Oh, or the general audiences are going to feel too confused when you start dropping names that they don't know what they mean. Yeah. I feel like this movie was made for fans. Yeah. You know, I do. I really feel like this movie was truly made for fans and there was a lot of lore and a lot of stuff in there that you could pick apart that we notice as fans. But I agree with the feeling of an expanded universe sort of vibe, for sure. Oh, I remember now. Were you upset that Han's story has changed from him being like royalty on Corellia to being a scum rat? Not at all. Yeah, it didn't bother me either. I was totally okay with it. I was never that that era of Han's story. I was never that attached to, anyways. And a lot of that backstory for Han came really early 
in the expanded universe. So a lot of that stuff I had, you know, the first books I read were well beyond that in the timeline. And I, you kind of always knew where Han came from, but I wasn't that married to those ideas about Han. And I think they stuck to kind of the spirit of Han Solo in his origins. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they changed details didn't bother me at all. Okay, so how do you feel about his relationship with Chewbacca in this film? Because I have heard from a few people that dislike the movie, that they feel like it was too rushed, they feel like they didn't understand stuff, which we kind of already talked about, but they felt like the relationship between Chewbacca and Han was forced and didn't feel like organic and real. And they said that to me, and I remember my face going, what? (laughs) Because I totally felt it. I felt it from the second they were in that mud pit fighting each other and he starts speaking Shrewook, you know, and and like I totally felt it 100 percent. So I don't know. I don't understand the people that feel that way. And in the I guess part of the issue is, is that they're not as big of fans as I am. And so I have a hard time figuring out if if I'm jaded because I'm such a Star Wars fan. And sometimes I think about that in regards to myself with Disney because I can see all the good in basically any Disney movie. And I guess you could say that, like, I'm a Disney sucker, you know, or I'm a Star Wars sucker and that I'm just going to like anything that they give me. And that's probably true. And I'm probably completely biased, which is fine. But I do honestly try to understand when people don't like something. But it was really hard for me to grasp my mind around that. Or wrap my mind around that because I'm like, but I felt like it was so organic and natural and it flowed, you know, because Han's just like this really outgoing person that's just trying to be friends with everybody. So like he was just being himself. And I feel like it took Chewie a little longer to warm up to him, but he did, you know, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I don't, I, am I wrong? I completely agree with you. I, I tend to be a little more critical probably toward uh, movies in general than you are in Star Wars I try you know I'm the same way I've, I love Star Wars and I'm pretty much going to love anything they throw at me but you know there have been times I've been disappointed but even in this like I thought that the Han and Chewie relationship was maybe the best part of the movie for me the strongest part mm-hmm. because those two characters already meant a lot to me anyways because of other movies and for whatever reason Chewbacca in this movie was way cooler than he was he, than he's been in any oh, other movie. Oh yeah, for, for sure. Me. And I thought the whole like when the way they introduced him and the mud pit and the fight and then and him talking Shiri Wook to him and the comedy that was around that and just I don't know just seeing Chewbacca and Han meet for the first time like gave me chills. Like this yeah, is how I, they met. Like and I thought it worked. I didn't feel like it was forced. Yeah, and especially like when they're sitting around the. F- fire on whatever planet they're on <laughs> and Rio's talking about what are you going to get what are y'all going to do with your money and whatever and Chewie says that he's going to go find his family or his tribe and, and Han is translating and stuff that moment was just so impactful and meaningful that Han really understands Chewie or that he was beginning to understand Chewie and then and Chewbacca in this man Jonas is like 
he's amazing as Chewbacca. Like, he gave him some serious personality. He even had some swagger about him. Like, it was crazy. There were scenes where Chewie was just like, whatever, I got this. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I've always liked Chewbacca, I guess, but I don't dislike him. But he was never a, a huge favorite. He was just, you know, well, it's Chewie, right? In this one, he's, like, he's a favorite because of this one. I agree. So, yeah. We got to see so much more from Chewbacca in this movie than we've ever seen. Just as far as him being active and kind of running around, you know, that whole mud pit fight was so physical. But it didn't seem weird or off, and it just, it worked. And the costume was perfect. I never got this feeling like, oh, that's somebody else playing Chewbacca now. I mean, it's obviously not Peter Mayhew anymore, but it never stood out to me as odd. They really found someone that can portray that character moving forward. And yeah, I agree with you. I thought everything between him and Han, it was actually my favorite parts of the movie. All of the most memorable things between, you know, the fight and then him talking to him kind of on that balcony and he's like, oh, what's your name? Oh, Chewbacca. I'm not going to say that every time, you know, that type of thing or or the the moment where Han is standing in the shower and then Chewbacca like walks up next to him and you just see their feet, you know, and kind of like, oh, we couldn't have done this one at a time. Like just all of that, all those little moments, even though Chewbacca literally never says one word, you know, he just does his growls. You can still feel the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, and, and talking about like the people who, don't like the movie I guess I just have not been able to wrap my head around what it is they don't like about it because it doesn't make sense to me you know not disrespecting the people that don't like it but I just don't I don't get it you know I don't see what there is to not like because I mean if you only like Star Wars for Jedi and lightsabers and force there's so much more in the galaxy of Star Wars than that stuff there's all of this other stuff and for me, this other stuff is super exciting and interesting because we don't know anything about this. Yeah. And so it's like fresh and it's new and it's cool and it's new places and it's the way that other people function in the galaxy other than just the Jedi, which I do really like. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I love the Force and all that stuff, as you do. But I know, like, after my press screening, I heard somebody saying, like, it was a great action movie an exciting and adventure movie, but it wasn't a star Wars movie. And I'm like, why, why, you know, I didn't ask them because I don't know who these people are, but like, that was my, that was what I was thinking. I'm like, why is this not a star Wars movie? Because it doesn't have a Jedi in it. Like, I don't get it. And that's kind of the beauty of star Wars is how big the galaxy is and all the storytelling potential that, you know, me as much as I love, you know, my favorite things about star Wars is the Jedi and the force and lightsabers but there is room for these other types of stories about Han. There literally was no, I don't think, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think there was even a mention of the Force in this movie. No, there wasn't. Well, no, nobody even said, may the Force be with you. Nope. Because I know with Rogue One, there was no, you know, no use of the Force that was shown, but they talk about the Force. You have, you know, Jin and her kyber crystal. You, you still have a connection to the Force. There's still, it's still in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then obviously all the other Star Wars movies that have come out have Jedi and lightsabers. So this is really the first one that kind of didn't even talk about the Force. 
they didn't talk about the Jedi. I don't think they mentioned Jedi. I don't. I mean, I have, I have to watch it a couple once. more times no, to make sure. No, they but didn't. It, so it really is void of the Force. And if anyone's going to be annoyed by that, it would be someone like me, and I wasn't. I, I think there's plenty of room for these type of stories, and I hope they continue to make movies like this um, into the future. I think there's a place for all the Force stuff, but there's a place for movies like this that it's just about characters that don't really care or know about the Force. So... Yeah, I don't. If that's why people didn't like it, that's not a really good reason not to like it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what. I just don't understand it, you know. And maybe at some point, I'll be able to sit down with somebody and listen. But you know, the problem that I see with people trying to explain why they don't like something is that it's usually in a setting where there's like several other people around. And it just turns into like the shouting thing of like, well, it just wasn't good. It's like you're not explaining anything as to why it wasn't good. And I really honestly want to hear. I'm not criticizing anybody for not liking it. I just want to understand why. But it seems like anybody that I've talked to that that didn't like it, haven't they haven't been able to explain it well enough to me <laughs> for me to be like, mm, okay. <laughs> so... Anyway, but moving off that, because we both actually really did like this movie quite a bit. There's the whole, like, Rio and Val dying right away. Hmm. That that was hard for me following The Last Jedi with We Lost Paige in, like, the first five minutes. And I was really starting to get to know Rio and was thoroughly enjoying his character. And then it was like, boom, dead. Which I get. And I think they, you and I have talked about this off air, that it does progress the story for you because it does show why Han and Chewie are an integral part of the team that they're on and have the adventure that they have in this movie. But, like, I liked Rio. He was so cool. I liked him more than I thought I would. Yeah. Because they show him in the trailer and you just see him real quick, but you don't get, you know, you don't really get much about him. And I was more excited about Val than I was about Rio. But then once I saw the characters, I was like, oh, I really like Rio a lot. So when they ended up literally having him shot in the back and die, in like a really dramatic way, too. Yeah, seriously. I was like, ouch. It was almost as, as painful as watching K2SO die. Oh, God, you know, that was terrible. That real dramatic, you know, you get to see it happen slowly. And <laughs> you're like, oh, gosh, I don't want to see this. Cut away. Um, yeah, Rio... I felt that death, and I was like, oh, we barely got to know this character. So hopefully we'll get some maybe... I think we will, because I think there's a Beckett comic coming out mm. that Rio's going to be in, so I guess we'll get some more with Rio. But yeah, I was I was disappointed that he was gone so fast. Now, did you enjoy that whole scene with the train and all that, and Nymphus Nest and everything? Because if there's any part of this that's slightly forgettable for me, it's that. Really? Yeah, I mean, it was I it it's important for the story because we understand why they end up going to Crimson Dawn and all that stuff. I get that, but when I think about this movie, I don't think about that that sequence of the movie at all. Every there's a lot of other stuff that pops up in my head of I like this part, I like this part, I like that part. I don't think about that part. I think it was I liked that part. I think visually it was cool, and it was important to establish kind of the threat of Emphis Nest at that time and, you know, why the why they were so afraid of Emphis Nest. 
getting involved and like mm-hmm. you know they lost two of their crew because of this of this group that came in the cloud riders and i think just to establish kind of beckett although they did it on mimban too but to to establish his skills to see kind of how skilled he was in what he did as opposed to someone like han who was still kind of trying to figure things out and a little bumbly like beckett was the master you know that han ends up learning from so Han's always bumbly. Yeah, he is. But he definitely is. But I, I thought it was a very important bumbly. scene. Bumbly. It was a very important scene and tragic and you know you know, obviously they they killed off a couple characters during that stuff. So I, I it actually wasn't forgettable for me. Well, I mean I I realize its importance and what it does say, but like I just it wasn't memorable. You know, yeah. it doesn't doesn't stick out as one of my favorite moments of the movie. But I definitely I thought it was cool. Although I do think it's interesting that the coaxium is inside of this train that's just like flying around all over the place. As if it's not gonna blow up. It's kinda <laughs> like when we had the Kyber Crystal in the Freemaker Adventures and it's just flying around and it's like, dude, be careful, it's gonna kill you, you know? Those things are explosive. Yeah, the co- yeah. the the coaxium, I guess it's like I think this is from the the visual guide, but I think it's like from Purgles. What that stuff comes from? I saw no, that they somewhere. were mining. They were I mining know. the coaxium out of the ground on Kessel. That's what I thought too, but then I saw something where it was like the it gets re- something about the inside of like Purgles or something. I don't know. Maybe we I'm wrong. Because we don't have those books. I don't have the book, but I saw somebody talking about it. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess they did show that the coaxium will is pretty volatile, but and it has to stay in a certain temperature zone or something. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Just the, the, the train that it was on seemed pretty, like it was traveling pretty smooth. It wasn't like a rickety kind of train, like an old school Western train. It was like this really cool, you know, almost like a monorail disney stuff. okay all right here from wikipedia coaxium also known as hyperfuel is a rare form of hypermatter and type of expensive starship fuel mined on kessel a very explosive substance coaxium had to be refined in order to be stored at room temperature unrefined coaxium will turn red and explode when not stored in a temperature controlled environment one such such coaxium refinery existed on the desert planet of savarine um Let's see. The Galactic Empire transported large shipments of coaxium under high security measurements because they wanted to control as many resources as possible. Because of the knowledge of Purgles and the gas Clausen 36, scientists discovered that coaxium naturally forms itself in places with strong interstellar energy like Kessel. Okay. So it does have something to do with Purgles. Because of the knowledge of Purgle. Got it. Okay. But it's not actually from Purgle. <laughs> it's so not we, from a Purgle. We don't hunt Purgles so we can get coaxium, I guess. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got it. So it's related. Cool. But, I mean, really, sometimes you just have to give some of these things a pass that don't really make sense logically. Because why would they transport anything by train? I mean, they literally have spaceships. <laughs> they can just fly to someplace. So, but it's it makes for a cool action scene. So <laughs> they transport anything by train. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hmm. So uh, I'm still this, reading Wikipedia. I, no, I got I got into a rabbit hole about the white worms. 
And apparently they are mentioned in the Choose Your Destiny Han and Chewie adventure book that I have. But I've I apparently suck at that book so much that I haven't gotten far enough into the adventure to experience the white worms. You're choosing your adventure poorly. I choose my adventures very poorly. Don't you know, don't do what I do. <laughs> Were you upset at all oh. about Val dying? I I was but for completely other reasons. I wasn't upset about it for the story. I was upset upset about it for social justice warrior reasons, I guess. <laughs> Lost potential uh, for a cool female character. Yeah. And a female character of color, yes. Yeah. But but not you know, I don't really want to talk about that. But like, you know, I I wasn't so upset about her for the story purposes because I understood it. I just kind of wish that, you know, a female character of color wasn't killed off right at the beginning. That's all. No big deal. It's all good. Yeah, I was was surprised by how fast those characters died. I was disappointed because I liked them both. And Beckett, um, he seemed a little cold and maybe that's just his personality but after it happened he seemed upset at first he punched han but then he seemed more concerned with like his own life like oh now look what you've done you're gonna you know now we're gonna get killed this guy's gonna come and hunt us down and it wasn't like you cost me the love of my life because it seemed like him and val had a thing but maybe they weren't that serious i don't know but i was i was a little surprised how quickly he was over that he did take the time to bury them i guess or at least make graves for them yeah, who knows? But anyway. we don't know how much time has passed in, yeah. since between that scene. So maybe he yeah, spent we do. hours not crying about time it. at all. He's fine. He's fine. He's just a butthead. He doesn't care about people. <laughs> Clearly, I liked, I liked Beckett though. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's a great role model, but he was an interesting character, and I thought Woody he was Harrelson an interesting character. But I also kind of wanted to punch him in the face and then shoot him. But Han shot first, so there you go. Well, yeah, that's true. He did. (laughs) Which I did notice, by the way. I was like, oh, nice. Han shot first. That immediately popped up into my head the first time I saw it. Oh, of course. I think that, yeah. It was good, though. I didn't think that was heavy-handed in that moment. I thought that worked well. The way, because it surprised me. He's, you know, Beckett's talking to him, and he's like, oh... Let's talk about lessons and all that stuff, trying to stall for time. And then all of a sudden Han just shoots him. And you're like, whoa. Like that caught me off guard. But Han learned that lesson quickly. Always shoot first. <laughs> yeah, and he learned George that Lucas from his past. George Lucas tries to change it. He learned it from his past and he uh, came back into the future and changed things. To where he always shoots first. So uh, a couple other big characters, bigger characters probably than even who we've been talking about yet, is Lando and L3. Woo! Oh my god, my favorite part of the whole movie. So, like, a specific part, or just the fact that just the two of them, just the two of them in general, anything having to do with the two of them. (laughs) So, I will. This is where I'll be. The first negative thing I'll have to say about the movie is I didn't love L three. I know, I know. Aaron, Aaron, she was amazing. (laughs) She was funny. I liked her. I felt like she was a little too human. She was, we've never really had a droid that's 
that was so human in, in emotion and even in the way she moved. And I think a lot, I mean, obviously we've seen the behind the scenes on how they filmed. And so literally it was just the actress in a costume, you know, kind of walking around. So that, that probably makes sense that it looked like a human walking. But everything about her was too human. I don't know. She wasn't droid enough for me. Yeah, but she's, it's because she has modified herself. She has modified herself so much, you know, and been in charge of herself that she can be this totally unique, awesome thing. Yeah, and I get that. And I think I know what they were trying to do, and I and I get it. I just feel like with Star Wars up until this point, we've always had droids where they kind of were human-like, kind of had the human personality, but they were always still very robotic, even like C-3PO, the way he kind of shuffles around, and K-2SO, like where he's on stilts, literally. And R2-D2 is obviously not human. BB-8's a ball. Like, they're all very droid-like. And even their personalities are human, kind of, but still very machine. This was the first time I felt like this just... It's basically just a human in a droid costume. And I don't know why that just didn't work for me that well. I I was fine with the character and what ultimately happened to her. I was fine with kind of the integration with the Falcon and all of that because I think that adds some interesting elements to the Falcon now when you watch the movies. But overall, as a character, she wasn't my favorite. Nah, she was... If there's one outstanding character that I wasn't expecting, it was L3. And she, for me was absolutely stunning and so important to this. I was more upset about her death than I was about Val, to be honest. I, as soon as L3 is like, she's found her calling in life, it's like she dies. And a piece of Lando dies with her, which just kills me. Because reading Last Shot, I got super attached to L3 from from Last Shot. And then with the... So, the film and everything. I mean, oh my gosh. And so to know how terribly hurt he is, it's just, and then his droids just keep coming and trying to kill him all the time. Uh, Cause there's a huge tie in with, you know, L3 and last shot and all this stuff. So it's just, I don't know. It, I really liked her. She had some of my favorite lines in the whole entire movie. Mm-hmm. And I did like how human she was. I love that part of it. Yeah. Well, look, our first disagreement about the movie. I know. But I mean, I was, I did like the character. So I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't a problem for me. I wasn't like, oh, I hate that character. I don't ever want to see her again. I liked it. It just didn't quite work for me as well as it worked for other people. Um, I, in the relationship between, you're right, with Last Shot. If you, if you want to get more kind of in more into the relationship between Lando and L3 and her importance to him, like definitely read last shot because you get a lot more of that in there. So, um, but yeah, I like, I liked the dynamic and I liked the humor with the character, like the part where she's liberating the droids and the one little droids kind of like shuffling around and she's like, get out of the way. And she's like, I don't know, go, go liberate your friends or something like she, just all of that. I, I really liked the lines that they gave her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my favorite line that they gave her was like, why? Because you're my organic overlord. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> Do you need anything else? Equal rights. 
L3. Yeah, and now it makes sense with the quote from C-3PO when he says something about the ship having peculiar dialect or whatever. Yep. It's like, that's because it's L3. Oh, remember when we reviewed the Last Jedi novel and they talked about R2-D2 telling dirty jokes to the Falcon? Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I wonder if Jason Fry knew when he was writing that, that the Falcon like was L3. I don't know. I'm but I love the that. fact that the Falcon is L3, and it totally changes the way that I see the Falcon in every other movie now. I post, do like that post part Post this. Yeah, and although I felt like you know I didn't love the character and her, her personality might have been a little over the top for my taste, I did like the idea of of this character that means so much to Lando and who essentially, you know, when you talk about the Kessel run and, you know, Han kind of takes credit for that. She was really the reason more than anybody that they were able to navigate the Kessel run. So I think, uh, it definitely adds an interesting dynamic and almost makes the Falcon even more of a character. I know we've already kind of seen the Falcon as a character, but now it's even more of a character because we know where the brains came from. Mm Mm-hmm. So what about Lando? Did you like him? I did. Yeah. How could you not? How could you not so like Lando? Great. He was Lando so great was in this so movie. Great. Everything. Even even one of his last scenes where he was like I hate you when he's looking at his ship <laughs> and the ship is all destroyed. I was like, "That's such a classic Lando move. You don't really hate him, but you do." They did such a good job with the casting. And I know for both Alden and Donald Glover, when they first announced them, I was like, uh, okay, maybe. And Donald Glover, I was really nervous about because I had seen the show Community that he was in, and it's straight up just slapstick comedy. And he plays very, he plays that like really comedic role. And I was like, oh, I hope they don't really make Lando into this kind of joke. And they didn't. They made Lando into Lando. Like he was so, he, he embodied that character so well. And I think Alden did the same that their dynamic Han Lando dynamic worked so well in this movie, as well as it did in empire strikes back. Mm-hmm. And there was so many similarities, even to the, like the way that they interacted with each other and kind of, I don't know, just, it felt right. So I thought, I thought I was doubtful when they cast these, these guys and I was proven wrong. I think they both really did a good job. Yeah, I agree. But I wasn't doubtful at any point. So I was fully on board. So I'm just glad that it it was done as well as it was. So yay for that. Now, we've mentioned the Kessel Run a couple of times. Was the Kessel Run what you thought the Kessel Run was going to be? I think so. Yeah, Really? I think think it it was close enough to what... I, I always thought the Kessel Run was some sort of smuggling run that that Han had to do and was kind of a regular thing that smugglers had to do and he figured out a way to do it faster than anyone else in a yeah, shorter see, that's distance. that's not at all what I thought it was. And that's what I always thought it was. So and it essentially is what it became, but it was a little more bizarre probably than I expected it to be. But overall, it fit close enough to what my expectations were that it didn't stand out to me. Well, and also, I don't think he did it in any specific amount of time that he said he did. He's a total freaking liar. Well, I think it's more the, uh, it's a distance thing, right? 12 parsecs. So they were able to cut off however much distance from the normal. 
not time. Either way, he lied because even Chewie was like, he made a noise. He's like, if you not if you round down, buddy. Yeah, he. I, I think like, he's lying. Is 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 a little much. I don't think he's lying. I think he's exaggerating. Like the round down, I think is more accurate. He probably did it in like, you know, twelve point nine parsecs no, or whatever. I don't think so. I don't but, even think so. You don't think so? I don't know. I, no, I think he totally. Because no one calls him out on it. Like Han well, doesn't I, call him out. Well, I think he totally. I think he totally screwed that whole thing up. And I don't even think he did the Kessel Run. I think he did something something else weird. Like this whole lore of the Kessel Run for me has been completely demolished. I'm like that makes zero sense now. There, that might be my one complaint is that the Kessel Run makes absolutely no sense. Huh. Uh. You know, he didn't do the Kessel Run. He flew through the Maelstrom. That's not the Kessel Run. You know, he took the a Kessel shortcut. Run. No, like I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I think I'm gonna have to read the visual, whatever, and stuff to get some background on it, on what they're, what, how they're defining it. Because to me, that is the one part of this movie where I'm like, okay, so the Kessel Run lore and the fact that the Falcon did this big thing is complete garbage trash. Uh, that's I like, thought it. See, I'm the opposite. I feel like it reinforced it. Like he, you get to see the craziness that went on, and the fact that L three helped them navigate through, you know, this place that they could, shouldn't have been able to go through, and they were able to kind of find a shortcut, and they did the Kessel Run in less than twelve parsecs. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It just seems something about that is off hmm, for me. Interesting. So, but whatever. I heard some people say they thought the Kessel Run was like literally a race that he was no, involved no, in. No, I did because that's what I thought. Oh, okay. See, I never. That's never been the way I thought it about it. Yeah, I, that's that's what I, I thought know. too. So I was very. Like, I was where's all the race ships? Bet about it. <laughs> to be honest, I was like, "This is weird." But anyway, um, so speaking of Kessel, <laughs> Kessel's a weird planet. And mm. I don't understand Kessel. <laughs> okay. Don't. I just don't. Like, as a planet, I don't get it. Uh, like, why do you want to live in the middle of whatever that is? <laughs> I just don't understand. It's a Maybe Martin that's colony. why it's so bad. Because everybody that goes there are slaves. Yeah. They're just getting valuable stuff, you know, digging up valuable stuff and having to get it out of there. I don't know. But there were some other Wookiees there other than Chewbacca, so we got to see Yeah, other and they Wookiees. looked like they came out of Planet of the Apes. They didn't look one like of them. Wookiees. Yeah. I felt like most of them looked Wookiee-like, but the one guy looked really emaciated, and his fur was kind of gone, and yeah, he didn't he didn't look quite right. Yeah. He wasn't healthy. He wasn't a healthy Wookiee. But, so this, this kind of brings up a question, because we've always heard of the idea of the life debt that Chewbacca had to Han. Mm. But this movie never really showed anything that made me think, okay, that Chewbacca has this life debt. Like, I guess you could say Han oh, saved well, yeah, him. Oh, he got him out of the pit. Yeah, kind of. But Chewbacca kind of got himself out of the pit. And <laughs> and Chewbacca true. is talking about, like, you know, oh, he's got to get back to his family. So, And they nev- de- definitely never mentioned a life debt or, or anything. So I was kind of wondering, why didn't Chewbacca just kind of say, why did he choose to stick with Han as opposed to going back to his family or staying and help these Wookiees? Was there a life debt? I don't know. I, I, that was an interesting choice for them not to introduce that idea because it's such an accepted part of their lore. I don't know. 
but I didn't write it, Aaron. I have no clue. Okay. I don't know. I don't Fine. know. I mean, I honestly, and that's funny. I hadn't actually thought about that. I think that's part of it. I hadn't. I hadn't even <laughs> crossed my mind at all. You know what crosses my mind though is how to play Sabak. That I do think about that quite a bit. Which in this, this movie was I a little different. Understand. How is it different? How do you even know? You don't even know how to play it, much less. Well, I don't know the rules. Be able to be able to pick out how it's different. But I know the way it's been portrayed in the novels and stuff. Yeah, but expanded so universe. This, uh, I think it's been portrayed in in canon novels as well. But the way that it's always been portrayed is the the cards are actually like a digital type card that can change its face. So you never know quite know like you might get a card and be like, oh, this is a great card, but then at some point that it randomizes. And that card changes. And that's always been a part of the way Sabak's been explained. At least in the, you're right, Legends is what I'm thinking of. I can't remember if it's been in canon yet. So to see a Sabak, because they use the same the same suits and the same like values and all of that that I've ever seen from a Sabak deck is all accurate in the movie. But they have physical, you know, kind of paper cards like you would think at a casino and not this kind of digitized thing. So that was the main difference, but I was fine with it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is just a different version of Sabak. Oh, so. I don't, I want to, I need the inner workings of Sabak and I have hmm. the deck from the scum and villainy or from the celebration 2015, uh, this cantina deck that mm-hmm. I'm looking at. And I'm like, I don't understand. This is so I, confusing. Yeah. I think it's kind of a mix between poker and blackjack based on the rules that I read. Because I did try to but figure it out you're supposed to get closer to zero, I think. Right. You're trying like to get like a certain number. Zero. Right. And so you have negative cards and positive cards. and Right. So Something like that. We'll but figure it out someday. We'll break out a deck at Celebration and we'll, we'll play a game. Well, because I want to understand what the card is that Lando has up his sleeve. Hmm. You know, I don't understand why that card's so important because I don't understand how to play the game. Right. So I want to know it's that. It's kind of like having the ace up the sleeve. Like whatever card right. he had was kind of finished right. the valuable suit or sweet or whatever. How do you say it? Suit? Suit. I don't know. Royal flush. But royal. <laughs> uh, we had uh, Dryden Voss is a big character that we haven't really talked about. Or even Kira in, the, in kind of what she became after she left Han. You know, she ends up part of Crimson Sun, which is a criminal is organization. That's not Crimson a thing. Dawn, right? That's right. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Black Sun, Crimson Sun. I mean, but yeah, so she ends up part of Crimson Dawn, which was a criminal organization we had never really heard of before this movie, I believe. Although I think it shows up in Last Shot. I think they mention it. So technically, it was in that first, but this is obviously the first real appearance of it. So, yeah, new criminal organization. I guess they're kind of related to the other crime syndicates. I want to know more for sure about this criminal organization, especially since, you know, Darth Maul's apparently related to it. Whoa. What? You didn't know? I had no idea. (laughs) Mm -mm. But I mean, well, let's talk about Dryden Voss first before we jump into Maul. Okay. He was was there. That was it. Got it. Is that was that your pretty much overall feelings on the character? Yeah, Dryden Voss. Okay, forgettable character, Dryden Voss. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, he was nah, whatever. Like he, 
he was kind of that like creepy swarmy he was just like, weird crime boss kind of guy that was like super cocky but then would lose his temper all of a sudden and you've seen characters like that in other movies and it was it worked for the character i thought the character was fine but he never came across to me as like the big problem you know the big no, threat there was you know i think he was there to push kira's storyline forward mm-hmm. to get her to the end of the movie and like why she wasn't ever going to go with han and they had to be working for somebody you know and that's basically it but every scene that he was in i was like get off my tv screen or my movie screen you yeah. know i just i was not was not into it but you were talking about crimson dawn a criminal organization led by Maul who employed gangster Dryden Voss during the reign of the Galactic Empire as the public face of the syndicate. During its existence, Crimson On quickly cemented a reputation for being ruthless. Kira publicly served as Voss's top lieutenant, but later directly worked with Maul, is what it says on Wikipedia. And as far as where you can see it, it's mentioned in Most Wanted in the movie... It's in the Forces of Destiny episode Triple Cross, which I did see, but I need to watch it again. And it was first mentioned in Last Shot, and it's also in the Han and Chewie Adventure Choose Your Own Destiny Hmm. book. Yep. So a new criminal organization. I wonder why they didn't just stick with Black Sun or something that had already been established. Because, well, Black Sun's not... is Well, I guess it's established in the Clone Wars, but because... Doesn't Maul... Man, I need to rewatch those episodes of The Clone Wars. I think that's it. Before we say any yeah. more on that, I need to rewatch those episodes of The Clone Wars. But it makes sense to me for Maul to create his own syndicate to cause havoc. Yeah. And it also makes sense for it to be called Crimson Dawn. You know? Like... Yeah. I, it, I guess you're right. It does kind of make sense because he did originally align with Black Sun and I think the Pikes... Mm-hmm. Um, and started that whole crime syndicate, which had a name, but I'm forgetting what it was called. And then they all got defeated, and and so he he ends up going off on his own after he gets you know captured by the emperor, and you know he he's got a bit of a interesting history now that they've re- they brought him back into into the the canon with the Clone Wars. He's been all over the map. He's been associated with so many groups. You know. The, okay, so. Maul convinced Pre Vizsla they needed to recruit Black Sun so they could build an army. The Alliance proceeded to go to Mustafar to recruit the Black Sun rulers into their ranks. Upon arrival, their request for Black Sun to join were shot down and mocked by the Black Sun leader. Uh, upon returning to their camp on Zanbar, the Pikes also declared their allegiance to the Sith Brothers. So they got the Pikes. Mm-hmm. And then they went to the conquest of Mandalore. Right. So he's been associated and, to, like, the Knight Brothers. He's been associated to Black Sun, the Pikes, the Mandalorians. Now he's got Crimson Dawn. So he's he's all over the place. Can't get rid of this guy. Sidious took Mala's prisoner on Stygian Prime. But then the Mandalorians blah. broke him out. Yeah. But then he got defeated later by... By the Jedi, in... so Maul arrived on Ord Mantell and conferred with his Shadow Collective allies. Ah, Shadow Collective, including, was... including some person, um, Black Sun and the Pike Syndicate. 
he informed him informed them that a battle would take place against the separatists who were being lured to Ord Mantell. Blah blah blah. Hmm. There's a lot here. There's just so much. Like I And there there is a and, lot with, with And Maul. I'm and and I'm a diehard Maul fangirl and I am still kind of like, okay, I need to re I need to reread, I need to rewatch, I need, you know, a bunch of stuff because it's just his appearance basically just made me go, okay, so let's re. Now I have to come out of my sadness of him being dead. Yeah, so this must be after the fall of the Shadow Collective. They lose Mandalore. It's after that. Yes, right. Because... Okay, so... Do you remember in the Soka novel where it starts out and she's about to face off against Maul? So right here. So after his time... After his time with the Shadow Collective, Maul and his loyal forces returned to Mandalore where they remained in hiding for some time. During the final days of the Clone Wars, they found themselves under siege by a battalion of clone troopers led by Captain Rex and former Jedi Padawan Ahsoka Tano. During the siege, Maul briefly crossed lightsabers with Tano, mocking her as they fought, but was lured into a plaza where the former Jedi's comrades trapped Maul in a ray shield. Though Tano was given the opportunity to kill Maul, she instead chose to save Rex as a result, Maul escaped once again. Yep. Leading to Crimson Dawn. Right. So sometime after losing the Siege of Mandalore, Maul took up residence on Dathomir and became the shadowy leader of a criminal organization, the Crimson Dawn. Right. So what we need now is a really clear, definitive, illustrated timeline in some guide that shows us his exact path from, like, the Phantom Menace to his death at the hands of Obi-Wan. Hmm. Okay. That would be kind of cool. Okay, so listen to this. Sometime after the events on Savarine, Maul traveled to Malachor in search of an ancient weapon located within the planet Sith Temple. However, his ship crashed, leaving him trapped there for years without contact from the wider galaxy. Three years before the Battle of Yavin, the Eighth Brother tracked him down to on Malachor. So that's where we see the entrance of Maul and Rebels. Right. Man, so it all connects. Like the dots it does. connect it for does. sure. Yeah, but there's like. But it's a bit. I, yeah. It's a bit to a lot to take in, even for especially, us. Yeah, especially and for all the casual watchers that have no exactly. clue. And then Maul's dead in Phantom Menace, and then he comes up in this, and you're like, "What?" Like my... I can't. I can't even imagine. <laughs> Yeah, that was my reaction as a fan and a diehard fan of Star Wars that is very aware of Maul. And still, when he they showed his face, I audibly said, "What?" Like, and I don't usually say anything in theaters. I'm very respectful of other people's, you know, enjoyment of a movie and try not to talk. But that got, you know, that got an audible reaction out of me because never in a million years, like when they brought him back into Rebels and Clone Wars, and I was like, "Oh, that's surprising, but very cool." But when they brought him into this movie, it just, it was a complete blindside. I never saw it coming, never thought in a million years they would bring Maul resurrected into the movie canon. Yeah, me either. Me either at all. And I, when I first saw it, I like, my hands went up in the air and I was like, what? But I was really confused because he didn't look right at first. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it again since then. And, you know, he, 
I'm okay with it now. But I was just so caught off guard and confused the first time I saw it that I was like, well, I have to see this again for this one scene just so I can kind of understand, you know, what's going on. Uh, but I think it's really awesome, but I can understand how there are some people that are probably like, what the heck, you know? And it, it's an interesting choice to bring him in now because it almost feels like you don't bring a big character like that back in unless you're planning on using him more. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe they're just kind of leaving the door open for solo sequels, hoping that this movie did well enough that they could do sequels. And that's all it is. I don't think that's a problem, and I don't think Disney much less cares. Yeah, they're, so I, I'm just curious if this is just a let's leave the door open and maybe, or they already have plans for his character well, down the road. Well, it's not just his character. It's Kira's character because Kira, we haven't really talked about her, but I really liked the portrayal of her by Amelia Clark. I think she did a fabulous job. I think Kira was mysterious and interesting, and I think that she has a ton of potential to be fleshed out more, and I think that her character is set up for something that is alongside with Maul. And especially since she survived... She didn't die, and she is going to go to his side. So there's got to be something going on. But, like, man, Kira's sneaky. Like, she knew everything. Yeah. You know? My God. And it makes me wonder how she got to be a part of Crimson Dawn. You know? Right. Like, was she recruited by Maul himself? Was she recruited by Dryden Voss? You know, it seems like she's obviously aware of Maul. She wasn't surprised when she saw him. So she's definitely had interactions with him before. So yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of backstory there that would be great for a comic series or something to to kind of fill that in. But I was just excited when I left this movie about the potential because I was like, wow, if Lucasfilm is willing to bring in something like a resurrected Maul, which was such a bizarre idea to do at all, to bring that into the movie canon then that really got my hopes up for future storytelling because I was like, oh, wow, they are willing to start taking some risks with some of this stuff. Well, and and as some people... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, and as some people have said, you know, maybe this is leading into an Obi-Wan movie. But it makes it hard for me because we do know the end of Darth Maul. We do know that he dies at the hands of Obi-Wan. We do know all of that. So at this point, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I had thought about that too because the, all the rumors about a Kenobi movie hasn't been confirmed yet. And I was thinking, oh, maybe they're setting up for an appearance of Maul in a Kenobi movie. And maybe we'll get like a movie version of what happened in, in Rebels. But then I thought more about it. I was like, I just don't think they would go there because Ezra was so central to that story. Like, how do you tell that story without Ezra? No, they they would never do a movie version of that because Rebels is canon. They can't. Well, I mean, like, it wouldn't be the first time that you have two different mediums telling the same story. You know, they, In Star Wars, it would be. I guess. Um, yeah, I guess as far as canon goes. I mean, if you're not counting, like, the comic version of a movie. But, yeah. So, I'm agreeing with you that I don't think they would do it. But if there was a small moment of time that I was like, oh, they're leading into a, a Kenobi movie, and we're going to get to see that on screen. You know, that kind of that final confrontation. But... Then I quickly was like, nah, no, they wouldn't go there. Mm -hmm. So I think he fits more in a sequel to this movie, you know, introduce and and then have Kira and him and maybe, you know, it's like a sequel to the Han Solo movie. 
that he's more of a central bad guy. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I have a hard time figuring out where they would use him. It's weird to introduce him and not use him, but then I'm like, how would they use him? Because we kind of already know his story, so we'll see. Well, we know parts of his story. Yeah. Oh, well, Memphis I guess Nest. that. Oh yeah, gosh. <laughs> we, I was like, we can't, we can't, we can't not talk about that character in the reveal. No. So, Infus Nest. <laughs> Surprised by the the demasking no because i knew it was going to be a female they'd already mentioned that somewhere i'd already heard that on the internet yeah and so i already knew that it was going to be a girl it was just a matter of you know what the impact was going to be i have heard some people rumor that it's she's somehow related to saw guerrera i could see that hmm. i could see that being a thing uh maybe saw's sister had a daughter and we didn't know about it uh I don't know. I don't know. But but I do everything she stood for, her whole group of people, the whole thing with her, with her unmasking and everything and Han being the good guy because he is the good guy, you know, and all of that stuff. It, it was just beautiful. <laughs> there was yeah. something about it. I just I loved I love that. And I love the mention of the rebellion and it's bringing, you know, hope and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yes. I did like the connection to the rebellion, and I like how they've established these different groups that, you know, obviously are going to eventually form the rebellion. It did remind me of Saul, and I guess there were even a couple characters in her group that, isn't that the one guy, like Two Tubes or whatever his name is? Isn't he in Saul's group too? Mm, I guess so, yeah. Okay, so I think there is going to be a future connection between her group and Saul's group. Saul obviously went a little bit more radical, but it seems like she could too. Like she's got that kind of, she's not like the clean, squeaky clean kind of rebellion. She's definitely willing to, There, there's a body count that's going <laughs> to, that happens around her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was an inter- interesting review. I wasn't surprised that it was female either because somebody had spoiled that um, on Twitter for me. So that didn't surprise me. The age of the character surprised me that she was mm-hmm. so young. And um, I kind of when she, when she was first unmasked, I was like, okay, this is really dramatic. Who is she? Like, who is she supposed to be? Because I thought maybe she was going to be like the lost daughter of Val and Beckett or something like that. Oh um, God, what? I don't know. Are like, you she, serious? Well, well, is that so <laughs> far fetched? I'm not. I don't. I don't know that. She was I, young I, enough. She's she looked. She's the right complexion to be their daughter. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I just thought she was. I thought it was going to be a bigger deal. The reveal just was like, oh, it's this random kid. Um, I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed by the reveal. She's not a kid, and also she's probably about the same age as Leia was when Leia was doing stuff that she was doing. Okay, in but the Leia rebellion. was a kid. Oh, when I say kid, I say I mean pretty much anybody like under the age of twenty. Yeah, but still, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Like, you can no, be... No, it doesn't. I'm not saying you can't. No, no, no. You're misunderstanding me. I'm not saying okay. that that because she's a kid, she can't be a leader or powerful. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is I was underwhelmed because I thought the reveal would be a little bit more connected to something instead of it just being a random person. Oh. You always like people to be connected. I'm good with randoms. Hey, I I'm love... not the one that's suggesting she's Saul's whatever. That was no, you. I heard that. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> I thought that is not a suggestion for me, from me. 
I don't. Uh, I didn't actually think of that. That is not an organic Teresa thought. That is a thought <laughs> a from some. That's from someone's Twitter, uh, it's, or Facebook comment or something. I did not think of that on my own. <laughs> it was for me. It wasn't the the need for her to be connected. It was more how dramatic they made her character, where she was masked the entire movie. And usually, when you have a character that's masked an entire movie, and then you have a reveal. Usually it means something. It's like, oh, that guy or that person or that girl. Like, so the fact that it ended up not really meaning much, she could have been unmasked the whole movie. You know, it doesn't. It didn't make a lot of sense for her to be masked. What was she hiding? The fact that she was a girl and a young girl, who's powerful. So, that. So the galaxy is not ready to accept young, powerful women. Is that what you're saying? No, it's not. Okay. We're still working on it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting character. I think the the tie into the rebellion. The, I was a little um, surprised that Han and Chewie and Beckett kind of quickly teamed up with her instead Not of being Beckett. a little bit. Yeah, I guess Beckett didn't, but he acted like he did. But it was kind of like, oh, they killed your friends, but now we're cool with her now. Like I don't know. It just. There wasn't enough of like, hey, you killed my friends. There should have been some kind of a moment where they were like, ah, shake your fist and then say, okay, now we'll join you. Well, I don't think Han had a connection to Val and Rio, so I don't think he cares. He watched Rio die. How do you not have a connection? You don't have to be connected to people you see die. But they were friends. They like Were they? They'd known each other for like five minutes. I'd like to think that Rio died next to a friend. But I think we covered everything, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, overall, I really, I really like Solo. I think it's a really good movie. Uh, it's probably in my top five or six if I was ranking movies. I think I've stopped ranking movies now. Top five or six? There's not that many movies. <laughs> well, there's like top... nine. There's like nine, right? There's like eight. There's ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... so you're saying probably in the top half. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I don't know, because I'm not ranking movies anymore. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Ranking's fun, though. It. Yeah. And it's, the, the films, I just can't do it anymore. The books, I can do. But, like, movies, I just don't see the point. Because they all move around a lot for me, you know, mm-hmm. most of the time. I think, And my favorite one's always going to be the one that was, like, most nostalgic for me, which was my, my top two are never going to change. So... It's right. more of like everybody else jockeying for, for space. Wait, is it Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace? Is those your top yeah. top two? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm kind of that way with A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. Like those two are my top, and they kind of alternate. But I don't see those ever being supplanted. But this one, I I remember when I left it the first time I saw it. I was just like shocked by the risks they took. I thought it was a fun story. I loved the characters they introduced, and I just left that movie thinking this I, it was such a great experience, and I just absolutely love this movie. The second time I went in with a little bit more of a critical eye and, and picked apart stuff because I'd do that, and and found flaws that I didn't love, but still left really happy about the movie. So I'm kind of with you though. I think it's it's not like my favorite all of a sudden, but it's definitely in the top half of the movies for me. It's it's there's there's some that it's clearly better than in my mind. Mhm. So, but it was a yeah, it was it was a really cool movie. And I wish it was doing better in the box office. I know it's it's not like horrible box office numbers, but still not 
as good as as it could be doing. So I I wish it was doing better because I don't want this to go down as like, oh that's the one that flopped or that's the one that failed because I really don't think it did. But I I could see people using those numbers and kind of trying to use that as as ammo against this movie. Okay, well, let's put it this way: a bad movie for Star Wars, Disney, Marvel is a damn good movie for anybody else. Okay? Like, that's just... And, you know, and I'm a big box office person, and I really, really care about, like, keeping track of these numbers. Okay? But, like, worldwide, it's done almost $200 million. That's, like, movies would kill for that. So A lot of movies would kill for that. You know? So... I'm not worried about it, and I think it's fine. Not every Marvel movie is going to be great. Not every Star Wars movie is going to be great in the box office as far as, like, how many tickets are sold or whatever. It's just the way it is. Yeah. You know? I mean, Marvel had a slump before Black Panther and Infinity War. You know? They've had had movies that have not hit. So – and so is Disney, for crying out loud. I mean, you look at Moana compared to Frozen, and it's like – you know, Moana was crap compared to Frozen. If you look at box office numbers, right? But but it you was know, still a great movie. Yeah, I yeah. mean, everybody, calm down. <laughs> yeah, and I know I know exactly what you're saying. I think people do overreact with this stuff. You know, I think it's the the numbers are gonna be fine. The only thing I'm I'm just nervous about strategy when it comes to you know Disney strategy and how they use the franchise. In if they take a risk with a movie like this and do some things that they haven't done before and introduce new storytelling avenues with these characters and that's the movie that does the worst then i'm you know i'm just a little nervous that they might be like oh man we tried it but it didn't work so great so let's go back to a different formula um because i really want to see some of these threads pulled i want to see and i want to you know i think alden and donald glover did so good that i I do want to see another han lando movie you know i want there to be a sequel well, here's the thing, though. Disney and Lucasfilm already are in the works of whatever it is that they're doing. And they're not going to stop and backpedal. Stopping and backpedaling is what DC does. And Marvel didn't do that either when Marvel had stuff that didn't hit. You know, they just kept moving forward with what their business plan was, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't see that happening. They have a plan in place. It's not going anywhere. You know, so let's just... Just everybody calm down. <laughs> Gonna be okay. All right, I'm calm. Okay, calm I'm good. down. Calm down. So we're both two thumbs up for this movie. We are two thumbs up. Yes, that is accurate. And now we have lots of books to cover that are about this movie, so we'll be talking solo for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, in between shows, you can get a hold of us on Twitter. You can find us at SW Bookworms. We do want to know what you guys think of the solo movie, so feel free to tweet at us or even send us an email with your thoughts, StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash StarWarsBookworms. And we do have a Facebook group, so you can just search for Star Wars Bookworms group on Facebook, and then you can request to join. But keep in mind, there are a couple of screening questions that you do need to answer, or we don't let you in. Uh, so you can find us on iTunes and leave us a review. We love reviews. Five-star reviews are awesome. You can find me on all social media at Ice Cold Penguin. You can find Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AVGoins. So until next time, keep on reading 
and may the force be with you. I thought you were going to at least let me do that part. Oh, okay. Okay, ready? No, it's too late. It's over. No, it's not. It's not. You can do it. Okay, ready? It's okay. No, no. no I'm going to... Okay. No, no. Okay. No! No! Bye. No! <laughs> okay, you can... Ready?